Hey, this is Melissa, creator and founder of Femtrepreneur, and you're listening to Fem Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Fem Radio podcast wherever podcasts are found so that you can be notified when each episode goes live. Christina Broderick is a clinically trained, licensed social worker and a certified school social worker who is passionate about the fuse of mental health and education. Christina has provided mental health counseling and support for hundreds of middle school students and has worked in the entire education spectrum, K-12 and higher education, since 2012. In addition to students, she is passionate about helping people find their purpose, passion, and journey while keeping themselves at the forefront, offered through her own consulting and coaching services. As the founder and CEO of Ignite EDU, Christina has a vision that every student is able to learn, build, and strengthen their mental health foundation along their educational journey. The mission of Ignite EDU is to ignite education, transforming students from statistics to success stories by incorporating mental health into the education fabrics using their proprietary 3C approach, content, connection, and creation, provided through programming, coaching, and consulting for schools, organizations, and families. Hey, Fem Radio. This is your host, Melissa Goncalves, and I'm here with Christina Broderick. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Melissa. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, we're excited to have you. So tell us a little bit about yourself. What was your childhood like? Where did you go to school? Any information you can give us that's going to give us a good idea of, of who we're going to be hearing from today? Yeah, so I am a born and raised Jersey girl. Uh, very proud to be from New Jersey. Um, but I am also the child to a single mother. So uh, my family is from Jamaica. My mom was the first to come here uh, for our family. Uh, she was in her late 20s. So I was raised by a single mother um, here in New Jersey. Uh, most of my family still lives in Jamaica. Uh, we have a few family members that are here. Um, but we, um, Grew up in Catholic school. Uh, I'm from a town in, in New Jersey that doesn't come from much money, I guess you would say. Um, so my mom made sure that she uh, enrolled us in the best education, which was through Catholic schooling. So I went through Catholic school um, from kindergarten, actually all throughout um, college. Um, I'm not actually Catholic, <laughs> um, but uh, we were in Catholic school our entire um, upbringing. I am the youngest of three. Um, my sister is a year older than I am, and my brother is two years older than myself. Wow. Wow. So that must have been fun growing up. We have a little bit of a fun atmosphere at home, you know, I'm sure. <laughs> you, you, when you're so close in age, uh, you end up actually fighting a lot, it seems like. <laughs> So it was a lot of fights, um, I remember, but then also a lot of that typical sibling rivalry, um, very competitive. We were all into sports. uh, So it was a mix of things going on. So it was definitely good to have people to always be around with and and, uh, play with. Um, But then also, of course, a lot of that sibling uh, stuff came up for us, too. Right. So you mentioned your family placed, you know, a a strong emphasis on education. Um, How did this affect you throughout your schooling and throughout college? What's interesting is that I didn't think it played such an impact. I think until I started reflecting on it, the older I got. Um, So as I mentioned, my family's from Jamaica. Uh, My mom is number two or number three out of nine. Um, And their father died when my mother was young. So even though 
Um, and I learned this recently over like a family gathering that even though my, my grandmother was raising nine kids basically by herself, um, she still made sure that her kids were going to school. So uh, even though my mom, typically in those situations, right, the older ones kind of take care of the younger ones and they're working, um, that was something that my grandma was not about. She was still um, very adamant on making sure her kids received an education. Right. So um, when my mom came here to the United States, um, and she settled down in New Jersey, um, despite uh, the town I'm from not being able to have the best education system, she knew that at the end of the day, um, education opens doors. So um, we actually lost our house when I was about six, I believe. Um, it was foreclosed on and we were living in a basement. And a lot of people were saying, you know, Merlene, which is my mom's name, Merlene, why are you still paying for Catholic school? Just send the kids to public school. You'll get so much money back. Um, but even despite being in those situations, it was still uh, pertinent for my mom to make sure that we got that education. So as I got older and I reflected on that, it continued to um, be a very strong point in my life, realizing that despite all of the things that can be going on in someone's life, um, being able to have a solid educational foundation can really do so much for people as they uh, progress through their life. Right. And it seemed to pay off for you because you were pre-med in college, right? Mm-hmm. So is, yeah, it, I was pre-med. Mm-hmm. is it safe to say that you sort of had um, an idea of what you wanted to do or, you know, how did that, how did that come about? <laughs> Yeah, so um, when you're from Caribbean households, right, there's always this kind of pressure on you to to be in these professions, um, such as being a doctor. So um, I was in college and kind of reflecting on choosing my majors and things I want to do. And I, I thought, you know, why not? I'd like to become a doctor. I, I felt like I could do it. Um, so I went for it. So um, I was taking all the courses and I even went as far as applying for medical school and going on interviews for medical school. Um, really thinking that this is where I wanted to go. Um, however, every interview that I went on for medical school, I would say to myself, I really hope they don't ask me why I want to be a doctor, why I want to be a doctor. So I didn't actually have like a real reason to do it. I knew that I could do it, right? I knew I was my capabilities, I knew my strengths. I knew that I was smart enough and I knew that if I were in it, I could definitely succeed. But I didn't have this like underlying drive to be a doctor that I think most people have when they go into such uh, a career path that isn't easy by any means, right? Um, So at the time, um, it it seemed like being a doctor was what I wanted to do. But the more that I kind of ruminated on it, uh, the more I realized that wasn't the path for me. And at the time, I was actually uh, living in Los Angeles. So after I graduated from undergrad, um, I moved to Los Angeles to do an AmeriCorps program out there where we uh, worked to combat the dropout crisis. So it was my chance of being back in education, something that I knew that was was very important to me, um, but being able to see it from a different lens. As I mentioned, I went to Catholic school but here and when I went to LA, um, I was working in public schools, um, in particular public schools that are from that are in these underrepresented, underserved communities. Particularly, I was in Watts in an elementary school. Mm-hmm. So, despite um, you know studying for my MCATs or flying uh, to interviews for medical school, I was spending my days in classrooms with students um, from a lot of very similar backgrounds uh, as myself. So. I was kind of reflecting and knowing that, okay, maybe I shouldn't be a doctor since this isn't something that really is resonating with me. Um, I kind of took it back to home base, which I knew was education. 
and knowing that that was a, a spot for me in terms of wanting to make my impact on the educational world. Wow. That's huge. That's huge. Mm-hmm. When did mental health start playing such a big a part of your life? So, you know, education obviously was that thing you always kind of went back to and and it really developed and, and flourished into sort of what you wanted your future to be. Um, and then when did mental health start being that, that sort of pillar? Yeah. Uh, mental health came in after. So after I was done with um, my service year in Los Angeles, Uh, I came back to New Jersey and I was still trying to figure out like what exactly the next step looks like for me. Um, And then part of that was kind of reflecting on my childhood. So as I mentioned, I was raised by a single mother. um, And I also have uh, a brother that required some additional needs as well. And so growing up, like mental health wasn't something that was um, taboo or there wasn't so much stigma surrounding it, which unfortunately does still exist within a lot of black and brown communities, which I'm part of, right? Where, um, especially within um, immigrant or Caribbean households, where it is something that is frowned on. We don't talk about it. If something's happening in the house, it stays in the house, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I was fortunate in the sense that when I was growing up, um, my brother went to uh, therapy. My mom went to therapy, right? She was like, I'm a single mother trying to balance all of this. Um, I need some help too. So uh, as I, came back to New Jersey after my service year, um, trying to think through some things. Um, I knew that I didn't want to be a teacher per se, but I wanted to still figure out a way to work with students and work in education. Um, and that's kind of how social work came about. And then I realized that, that there was this other alternative route I could take uh, to still make an impact in education, but addressing this whole other need that exists for a lot of people that yeah. isn't talked about or serviced um, appropriately. Wow. So how did you make that shift? Tell us like what your, what were your next steps, right? Did you go into like a subset of education in that? Did you have to do schooling? Um, what did that consist of? Yeah. So, um, after that, so I already had like my bachelor's degree, um, I had my bachelor's in uh, psychology with a minor in Spanish. Um, and so in order to make that shift, it required me to get my master's. So, um, I enrolled in a master's program through Boston university in social work. Um, and what was interesting was, if you would have asked me a couple years prior if I ever would have thought of social work, the answer would have been no. Because uh, again, with, with stigmas, social work definitely still has a lot of stigma surrounding the career um, right. and the field. So, right, we think when I was, at least when I was younger, right, you, I would attribute social workers to people who were going in houses and doing child removals and like only kind of working in that space. Um, But as I was trying to navigate what my next move would be, and I was doing the research and the, and coming across social work, the amount of doors that I, it it just like opened in my mind and just seeing how impactful social work is and all of these different fields, right? That they're in policy, they're in clinical work, they're in education um, and just, it it just continues to go and go uh, far and wide in terms of the reach So um, I enrolled in my master's program. Um, I knew I didn't want to do um, clinical therapy per se. So that means like, you know, working in a private practice um, and seeing clients in that way. I knew that I wanted to do more of like community impact. Mm -hmm. Uh, However, I enrolled in a clinical program because I wanted to understand how to help people on an individual level so that I can thereby translate that into a larger setting. Wow. Such as education. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So how long did you, because right now, obviously we've been burying the lead here, right? You are the founder of Ignite EDU. So mm-hmm. how long of being a licensed social worker and a certified school social worker, did you decide like, I want to spearhead my own initiative. I want to do something for myself that involves, yeah. you know? Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great question. So Um, I've worked in all areas of education. I worked in elementary school, middle school, high school, and higher education. So um, having been in the entire kind of education spectrum, I just noticed there was a consistent gap in uh, what's being provided to the students, right? And I think as time goes on, there's continuing this this focus of like academic pressures, getting into certain colleges, like what does this different level of success mean? Um, But me having been on the quote-unquote front line of it, um, I'm just seeing so many students just collapse before my eyes. And, and I don't even mean like figuratively, I, I mean, literally, right. I'm talking wow. to students and they are not taking care of themselves. So they're like, I'm going to pass out. Like, and you can see them kind of getting a little weary as they're talking to me. Um, they're not eating right. So they're running away from me to go throw open trash cans. Um, and then mixed with so many other situations that are occurring because they are students um, and things are kind of going on in their lives, they'll be sitting in class and like uncontrollably start crying and don't understand why. And for me, being a social worker, it was frustrating to see so many students struggle, but not know how to get that help. And then more importantly, to see them having reached this level and they weren't provided with any, any skills, tools, or resources beforehand to better equip them for this process of life, of life that they were in. So having like been through this entire education spectrum, I'm kind of reflecting on my experience. Um, I'm getting frustrated with what's kind of happening. I decided that I, I need to be the one to create something. I need to be the one to help bridge that gap between mental health and education um, so that students can have more successful outcomes. Wow. So, I mean, wow, that's, uh, that's a lot to <laughs> unpack. I, I, it's amazing. It, <laughs> It's amazing the sort of revelations that you had, right? You know, there are so many people that just go to their jobs and then just do their jobs. Like you were going to your job and thinking of all of the intricacies, all of the facets, all of the issues that kids have at home and all of the things that they really have, you know, bogging them down and really messing with their mental health. So tell us about Ignite EDU. So when did you officially launch and and what is it exactly? And obviously there's just, again, there's just so much to unpack. I'm excited to learn all about it. <laughs> we officially launched um, two years ago, um, but we've really been trying to um, put a lot of work in motion uh, within the past uh, about eight, nine months, um, really trying to move forward full steam with uh, the company so um, the, at the baseline level, uh, Ignite EDU transforms students from statistics to success stories using our proprietary 3C approach, which is uh, content, connection, and creation. So we believe that current education model um, isolates problems rather than connecting the pieces. And what that means is typically, right, if you're in education, maybe the teacher is working with the student, the parent is working with their student, the parent and maybe is angry and maybe yelling at the teacher, right? Everyone kind of working in these isolated pieces and not so much working together. So what we're trying to do is create a, a, a program and a network that brings these pieces together instead of continuing to try to work on them in isolation. Um, and our 3C approach, so the content connection and creation, means that we provide the content. So we help just increase the general knowledge base regarding mental health. 
Um, we provide the connection to the content and that's through our workshops and our programming and our coaching services. Um, and then the creation. So we're not just here to, to talk about all these, you know, these, these phrases and these strategies and these skills, but we're helping people create their, their um, create new plans for themselves. So if we're working with um, a education system and we're working with maybe their teachers, we're helping the teachers infuse mental health into their lesson plans, right? If we're working with families, we're helping them integrate mental health into their daily uh, functionings of the family. So it doesn't feel like it's this whole separate thing that we're doing. How are we already infusing this into what you're already doing um, so that it continues to be more sustainable? Right. And I, I'm getting sort of like a, a common theme here, right, which is being proactive in the approach and being able to mm-hmm. to sort of get ahead of things. Whereas now we might be a little bit more reactive as a society. Would you say is that correct? Yeah, definitely. And especially because um, in the work that I do, um, being, being like a, a certified school social worker, right, a lot of the referrals and things that I get are after a situation has already happened. The student's already like having a panic attack or they're already suffering from anxiety or they're already like really struggling with something and now they're tapping me to come help. And it's so much harder to undo something than it is to to prepare uh, people with the right skills um, so that if they do reach that level, it doesn't get, it's not as extreme as it would have been uh, without having those skills. So we are trying to be more proactive, um, especially within the education system, right? Because that's where students spend most of their time, right? Um, I know we're in a, we're in a, a special space now, right, um, with what education looks like. But typically, right, students are spending most of their days um, in this education building with their teachers, with these curriculums for six, seven, eight hours a day. Um, and that just seems like the perfect place to start infusing this uh, into uh, the curriculum or uh, within the families uh, as well to be more proactive instead of waiting for something to happen um, until waiting until I'm with the student as, as a sophomore in college who is now trying to undo all of these unhealthy coping skills that they've developed rather than equipping them with, with some uh, when they're younger. Right. Right. So have you received feedback thus far with your initiative, like anything that you've sort of either built your program upon the feedback or feedback that's just been like, wow, this is, this is great. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's such an interesting space within education um, because when I talk to people about it, um, I get very similar reactions, right? This is great. This sounds amazing. Um, this is what, like what's needed. You're really like out here doing, you know, much needed work. Uh, but then you kind of run into these barriers where um, there with funding or with like infiltrating some of these systems um, or which is unfortunate is that uh, sometimes uh, systems and programs and organizations kind of want, want to already use what they have, meaning using their own staff or personnel to do something versus kind of having, bringing in somebody new or some new ideas. Um, So while I'm getting a lot of great feedback that this is what's needed, I'm still working on trying to uh, shift the narrative around uh, bringing in some extra people. Um, What I have that is a really good lens, which helps, is that um, I've been there, right, where I'm working in a school, in a middle school with 450 kids, um, and as much as I want to be able to do all of this stuff that Ignite EDU does, um, I just simply can't because I'm already stretched in. So that is definitely an angle that I'm able to use from my personal experience, right? I've been there. I understand the importance of wanting to keep it in in house. Um, however, we don't want to keep adding more things to the plate, adding more things to the plate of of our staff members. This is how we can help you guys alleviate 
that while also solving a very much needed uh, problem. So I, it's just, again, like, right. You know, sometimes I always think about it too. Like when we were growing up, is it just not that we didn't notice these things or is the world just so much more complicated now and children are exposed to so much more at such a young age that things become Mm -hmm. so much more difficult or is it just, you know, we are operating in tunnel vision, right? Like from my own perspective, am I just thinking of my own experience? And, and sometimes you don't really think about how other children are experiencing their education. And I'm, you know, this is really helping me to sort of expand my, my sight line a little bit and understand how these programs are just so vital. So in terms of funding, because we all know that nothing in life is free. <laughs> how, did, <laughs> how were you able to, and, and what were the requirements for you to fund this? Um, and then along with that, you know, how do you sort of pitch this and, and how do you get that, that product and that word out there? Yeah. Um, so right now, most of it, um, about 90% of it, if not a little bit higher is self-funded. Um, so it is all coming from me, um, being able to fund all the different um, aspects of the programming. Um, we do charge. Um, so when we do put on programming, it is paid programming. So one of our most sought after um, programming initiatives that we do is our interactive mindfulness experience. So mindfulness has become this really big hot topic right, that everyone kind of talks about. But right. sometimes it can be very hard to conceptualize and understand. So I created a um, what I call an interactive experience where I bring the five um, the mindfulness life through your five senses and you get to create all of these different things while you learn about mindfulness so what that looks like for example is you are creating face masks and as we're creating these masks with like like scrubs and like different oils right we're talking about the the sensation of touch and how we can tap into mindfulness using the sensations of touch um if we're talking about smell and they're creating their own um aromatherapy roller balls we're talking about you know just taking in and taking a moment to notice the sense is it sweet is it a little bit more rugged right so how are we practicing mindfulness and the the aim is that we're able to teach people um, how they can do these practices um, without having to you know pay for certain things or or log on to youtube right that you can do these in your everyday life um so we do different programming initiatives and they are paid programming initiatives so um, when people do have us come, they do pay us for those. Uh, we also have workbooks. So we created workbooks that are meant for students um, that are interactive. So um, it's funny, I actually got a comment from a student recently who's using it where she said that she thought it was going to be like a regular textbook. And she was surprised that there was like prompts in there. She's like, oh, this is asking me questions. And now I have <laughs> that there's like space for me to like answer these questions. I was like, yeah, it's, it's kind of meant to, to help you do some of this work. Um, so we go over uh, self-care, we go over mindset, we go over resiliency. Um, so it's not just about, again, remember that the, the three Cs, it's not just about the content, just giving them information. We're also helping them create uh, their own plans and, and develop a better understanding of mental health as a student. Uh, we also have created an instructor version. So um, we do have educators that use them in the school system with their students. Uh, parents can use them alongside their student at home. Uh, So it provides an additional interactive experience to be able to make it more personal for them. So those are different ways that we're able to gather some funding for uh, the the company, but most of it uh, is self-funded at this moment. 
Wow. I love that. So, And I, I think about that now too, especially given the time that we're in right now where everyone is forced to be remote and all this, you know, the mm-hmm. learning is remote learning. Um, so I think it's great that you've given parents that toolkit, right. To be able to work on things at home with their children, you know, and, and those mm-hmm. students, um, how has your business sort of shifted or changed during this time? Because I know it's not easy for small businesses. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so what are some of the things that you've had to, to think about and consider? So one thing which is kind of, um, is helpful is that, you know, because everything is a little bit more digital, it's allowing me to, to bring people together um, in an easier way than trying to find like a brick and mortar spot, having to pay for that, that place and, and getting people to be there. Right. Okay. Um, so it's around, it's allowed us to bring our community closer together. Um, so for example, next week we're hosting a three part virtual panel series um, and each day. So one day we're talking with educators, the next day we're talking with college students and the next day we're talking with the parents. And it's not so much to um, spew out a whole bunch of information, right? But we're having people from these respective places just talk about how is this affecting them in their, in their uh, demographic uh, space, right? right? So as an educator, what does this look like for you, right? As a college student, like uh, one of our panelists was supposed to be graduating in May, right? So what does this look like for you and how can we relate and how can your peers tune in to, to find some kind of like solidarity in their feelings? And same thing with the parents. It's definitely a shift for parents. So uh, what it has allowed us to do is to get creative in how we're offering some of our services uh, so that it's more virtual, but also more accessible to people. I love that now you don't have to be um, within the New York or New Jersey area. People are tuning in from California or from Chicago or from wherever um, because it is more accessible. So I think that is something that's really exciting. Um, Another thing we are looking to launch um, because now everyone is home um, and it is a very trying time for uh, students and parents alike is our um, coaching program that is meant for uh, parents to do alongside their students. It's a four-week coaching program. Um, So maybe meeting with me as well as with a group of their peers, just moving through essentially what we're teaching them in the workbook, but providing them with a more hands-on experience to guide them through it. Uh, So it's definitely, um, it's shifted, right, where a lot of the stuff before where I was spending time trying to get into schools or get into student organizations uh, or what have you. uh, Now a lot of it is how do I kind of shift to this online presence and make it greater, but also more accessible for people to want to tune in or to join uh, the program offerings that we have. Right. Wow. I'm always so in awe by business owners because, you know, something like this, it virtually happened overnight, right? We've been hearing about it for a while, but we didn't know the extent of which it would sort of take off. And the fact Mm -hmm. that there's been so many people who've had to make that just last minute shift of their business and change the way in which they operate and the way in which they're sustaining their income. I think it's, um, you know, really impressive that people have been able to do that and that you've thought of it to to that extent of really how you can make that impact and continue to make that impact on the lives of your users. So I commend you for, for having, you know, having thought of that and, and working towards that because this is such a, such an unusual time. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. And it, it's hard. I mean, I won't even try and like fun. It's hard. Um, when this kind of whole, when this all started, it took me, it took me as a grown woman almost three weeks to like finally feel like I can get my life together. It was right. definitely an adjustment on like my emotional and mental well-being. 
Um, so I can't even imagine how it's been for other people who are, are dealing with something that's a lot greater uh, in their lives than I was. But it was it's definitely an adjustment, I think, because of how abrupt it all seemed to have happened. Uh, definitely makes it a lot, a lot more challenging, uh, which is why I'm trying to make sure I'm trying to create spaces where people ha- can process some of this right. stuff uh, with each other. Yeah, absolutely. So aside from, you know, coronavirus and this quarantine, <laughs> um, what are some of your ultimate goals for Ignite EDU, you know, in a year from now, two years from now, where do you really see this, this growing and being? Yeah, so I would definitely, um, my goal is to continue to try and get in uh, student-led organizations, student-focused organizations, um, different parts of the uh, education sector. Just so, um, again, we are providing a need and closing the gap as it relates to the fuse of mental health and education. Um, ideally, what we'd also like to do is to create an online system um, where students are able to uh, have more of an interactive experience um as they learn about mental health but it's also personalized so there's a lot of things out there right now where students can play these like social emotional learning games um etc and they can like maybe submit some answers and, and but it just kind of lives there um we would like them to be able to have something where uh it continues with them so say for example if they are in eighth grade and they're maybe working on their self-care plan or a wellness plan they're learning about mindset um, kind of doing that through their eighth grade year, it's something they can log back into and they get into high school, right? That, that helps them transition from eighth grade to high school. Um, right. So it's kind of like a portfolio, if you would think of, where they're able to um, not just input information um, and learn about different parts of mental health, but also log and file and review, reflect, et cetera, um, and have a space for that. So that is definitely one of our goals is to uh, work on the uh, online software for the company for students. Wow. Love it. Love it. As far as, <laughs> as far as your um, business goes right now, how many do you have like a team of people that work with you? How are you structured internally? Oh, great question. So um, I did, I, up, up until it's now April, up until a couple months, um, it was myself and two other people. Um, but we did have some restructuring that did occur. Um, so right now it is just me. Um, it's just, it, I guess I'm used to just saying we, 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 but, it's just <laughs> me. Um, but up until a couple months ago, it was myself um, and my two other colleagues, uh, but we did do some restructuring. Um, so right now it is just me doing all of this. Um, but my hope is though, uh, within the next few months that I'm able to bring some other people on board that can help me and some of the areas that I need strengthening in as it relates to um, securing contracts and marketing, uh, funding, right. and those areas. Mm-hmm. Right. With hiring and securing employees, I mean, it's difficult, right? Like, this is your baby. So it's hard to mm-hmm. bring people on. And, and you know, I, I hear this from entrepreneurs all the time where they're like, I know I need help. But, like, it's hard to hire people because you're trusting them with a business that you like eat, sleep and breathe every day, but you can't pay them enough for them to eat, sleep and breathe this business. (laughs) And that's the, and that's the thing is like, I sit with it and, you know, that was part of the things that I I sat with when I had my other two um, partners with on on as well was I can understand why maybe they're not as, you know, hands-on or they're like not like going above and beyond as much as I am because I'm not paying them anything. Right. Or not enough, or they're not getting as much of a return 
um, for it to, to really be at the forefront of their mind as much. And so I wasn't mad at them. I mean, it made sense, right? I was like, I understand that. Um, so it is definitely a challenge and something to consider um, when you are looking to hire because, you know, I, 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 I'm trying really hard to work on, like, not feeling this control freak, like I need to have my hands in everything and needs to be my way. Um, but it's hard when it's something that you did, you have such a personal connection to, right? right. Um, a lot of the stories I share as to why I started my business are my stories. There are things that I experienced with my students um, that led to this. And as much as I can, someone can empathize with me, it still, it relates differently. So it is definitely a challenge when um, it is time for hiring uh, to make sure that the person that we're bringing on or the people that we're bringing on are able to, to really embody the vision and the mission. Um, but I, I'm giving myself some time to make sure that I can do my work myself in terms of like my internal uh, work to be able to release some responsibility and not feel like I need to have my hand in everything because, right. and, and making sure that we would be hiring quality people so that I can feel more confident in being able to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I totally hear you there. And I've definitely been at that place too. And just in my own business where you're close to pulling the trigger and, you know, you're like, Oh, okay. I need this. I need this person to help me. And then you pull back a little bit. Cause you're like, you know what? I'm not ready to delegate. Like that's just not yeah. where I'm at right now. And that's okay. It's your business. You know, mm-hmm. you're allowed to make those decisions. And I learn, you know, nine times out of 10 from speaking with entrepreneurs that, going with your gut is really the best thing, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's yeah. always, it's always solid. Yeah. It is interesting how that's so different where, um, depending on whatever, you know, respective field you might be coming from where you can always, there's that frowned upon, right. To go with your guys to go with facts or you go right. with like whatever data says. Right. Um, but in this space, it's one of the things that you kind of do learn is that like your gut is telling you to do something for a reason, especially when it continues to be, uh, persistent. So, uh, take some time to, to sit and reflect and right. make sure that we're making smart moves going forward. Yeah. So I ask the same question to each of our guests and it is who embodies the word femme to you. So we use the term femme to just describe that trailblazer, that person who's really an ally for others. So I'm curious to know who is that person in your life? Um, I hate that this is such a cliche answer, but I have to give it that it's my mom. <laughs> um, and and I say that because, um, as I, I've mentioned a few times, um, she's she's Jamaican and you know born and raised in Jamaica. And there are tons of things uh, within that within the, in the Jamaican culture that unfortunately still uh, persist. For example, as it relates to maybe um, sexual identity and things like that. Uh, my mom was never one of those people that continue to um that continue to to push push that that stigma forward right that she was able to um tell me you know if you are gay you're gay love who you want to love right uh and unfortunately that's not always the case in Jamaican households so she growing up is just in in every aspect she was never one to succumb to uh what society says or whatever the norm says you need to do that she was able to always turn to what is right what she believes is right um, and pass that message on to us. So I, again, I hate that it's that cliche answer, but I think my mom was definitely one to, to get me to that, that part where I can also operate in that same way. Um, and then of course, you know, my own experiences continue to push that forward. Right. I love that. Love that. 
So where can our listeners follow you and the Ignite EDU journey on social media? Yes. Um, so on Instagram, we are on there at Ignite EDU, I-G-N-I-T-E-D-U. Um, we are on Facebook uh, with the same name. Um, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're working on building our Twitter presence. On Twitter, we are underscore Ignite EDU. Um, and if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, I do a lot of my postings um, on LinkedIn as well. You can follow me directly, uh, Christina Broderick, or you can follow our page on LinkedIn as well. We're trying to cover all of our bases. We haven't made it to TikTok yet. We haven't made it to TikTok, but <laughs> we're on Instagram, Facebook, <laughs> LinkedIn, Twitter. You can find us. Everyone keeps trying to tell me to get on TikTok, and I'm like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I like to watch it. It just right. feels very overwhelming to like hop into that community. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm okay being an observer. I'm perfectly okay being an observer right now. Do you have any last pieces of advice for our listeners? Any cool things you want to share? You know, let us let us in on any of your secrets. I just continue to tell people, especially now, um, just give yourself grace. Um, whether it's now during a, a global pandemic or if it's you know, whenever we turn, return to the new normal, um, we're all moving and shifting uh, in our own way. And I know society can tell us we should be doing X, Y, and Z, uh, but give yourself grace, uh, move forward with purpose, move forward with intention, uh, make sure you are keeping time for your own, your own well-being, um, and it'll be okay. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course, this is so exciting. I'm happy to have been part of it. Do you know any trailblazing females that you think we should be featuring? Send us an email at femt at gmail.com. That's F-E-M-M-E-T-E-E at gmail.com. As always, thank you for your support as we strive to promote the growth of diverse women in all industries. Hashtag get femmed.